0: Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, DJs and DJnettes, to another episode of the Alfalfa Podcast. We are four radically moderate entrepreneurs and investors swimming in the messy gray ocean, serving up alpha in money, politics, and life. We are Nick, the Algo, Urbani, Eric, Tinfoil, Joe Hanson, Stephen, the personality, Cesaro, and I am Armon the beard, Asadi. All links at alfalfapod.com. Make sure to hit subscribe and support us wherever you're listening. And of course, follow us on the socials. And if you want to hop into the community in between episodes, join our Discord at the same link for the after party. How does this work again?
1: <laughs>
0: Let's keep that. Let's Wait, keep that in there. let
1: that in there. Our, our Georgia, intro. In there. Our <laughs> intro.
0: <laughs>
2: we don't need to do this intro.
0: Welcome to episode 39. We are back to talk about how to get rich quickly. Sounds like a spam headline. Sounds like scam. Yeah, might be the next scam pump. (laughs) You might be part of this. Uh, Hopefully there's some alfalfa in this episode for you. We're going to be sharing some wisdom, going around the table, talking about our paths, how our thoughts around this whole idea has changed, have changed throughout the years and uh, going into some of the kind of latest ideas we have around this whole concept of how to accumulate wealth as quickly as possible. I do want to start and kick off right before we do this alfalfa round by just on our behalf saying just how grateful we are for everyone listening. This has been one hell of a journey and every once in a while we just want to pause, say thank you. I know we have a great fucking time here and we mess around a lot and There's all kinds of degen things happening, but seriously, deep in our hearts, we are so grateful that we four friends get to hang out, get to have the discussions that we would have anyway, record them for you, and the fact that there is value to you at all, and that it's making a difference in people's lives means a lot. So thank you. We're growing, and shit seems to be working, which is amazing, and it's thanks to you. So thanks for shilling the pod to your friends and family and coworkers and sisters and husbands and wives. And uh, let's keep doing that because we are getting closer to our goal of uh, getting to a point where we're professionals about this and maybe getting some sponsors uh, that we like that can help us uh, support keeping this podcast going, get some staff, get some things off of our shoulders so we can focus on what we do best. So yeah, keep chilling the pod, everybody.
2: Can I say that I got a little emotional uh, when uh, I think it was user Trunsky or something in our in our Discord introduced himself and he's like, yeah, I just never felt like I, I like found a... a A group of guys it's like my my crew and then he was talking about us and i was like oh my god like this is this is actually meaningful work i started getting a little emotional
0: yeah there's so many of those um so for those that don't know we have a discord that's where our community hangs out it's at our website alfalfapod.com hop in and there's a channel of introductions of people all around the world introducing themselves talking about who they are where they're from what they do and their uh, reason for tuning in so hop in there and we'll see you in there so thank you again uh let's kick off with our alfalfa round okay the algo You're not even good at math (laughs) Uh (laughs) Uh uh-huh mr 17 years of kumon (laughs) yeah yeah yeah
3: well my arithmetic is strong i'll tell you that um all right so the the big bag of cash is still in cash haven't didn't make any moves Um, I guess just in general, my head's at, I still think we're headed for a hard landing. I think um, Fed's going to tighten more than the market thinks, going to raise more than the market thinks. The market, I think, has misinterpreted some of the Fed statements and uh, has kind of lowered the risk premium for risk assets. Um, you know, obviously like LARPing as a macro person, but to me, this is the question, like, what is the Fed going to do? And, and the market is, is deciding that, uh, they're gonna, they're going to give up a little sooner than, um, they're saying, um, I think the question isn't like, has, uh, inflation peaked, but how, how long will it take to go down? And I think the, you know, if we start to see a lower inflation print and, uh, people say, okay, it's peaked. But the next question we're all going to talk about was, how fast is it going to go to two percent? I just think, you know, if it gets down to the eight percent, seven, what happens if it stays at six, five, four for six months? You know, what happens then? Does does Powell say, okay, four percent's fine? We're gonna, you know, just uh, get rid of yeah. our debt that way, inflate away our debt, or I'm is agree. he going to stick true to his word, which is we want to see multiple months of evidence that we're actually going down to to two percent. And so, you know, this thesis has some holes in it. If, you know, I could be underestimating how political the Fed is as like a, a group that we have an election coming and maybe they do want to, I don't know, uh, inflate away the debt at some point in a strategic way. But um, yeah, I'm not I'm not buying it. I'm not I'm not chasing the pump. We could go up <laughs> higher, but I'm going to keep my bags in cash for now.
1: That's good. I have a lot of thoughts on this, but I'll I'll no, keep it in my pants Why for don't a you bit. just go go next? I, I feel like we'll do a little thing, we'll have a little brief discussion on this. I, okay, I feel yeah. like it's a good point of, uh, I'll point go of next, discussion. I'll go next and you can
2: uh, piggyback yeah. off both of us. But um, I'm I'm sort of with Nick uh, that I'm I'm still holding a lot of cash on the sidelines and I'm I'm starting to pl- play devil's advocate a little bit because I, I do see this hard landing existing. But um, you know, when we talk about macro, we're talking about, like we're typically talking about inflation rates, Fed pivot, et cetera. But there's this other like macro environment that's happening alongside of all this, which is like the investment landscape, the investment universe as a whole. And what's happening like in that investment universe is like you're you're actively deciding at all times whether you want to deploy your money, yes or no. And then if yes, then like where? So um, a lot of investors typically would go like equities and bonds. You know, this is like a kind of like a traditional allocation and when, when, when investors are looking at these two in particular, they'll look at the earnings yield on both of them, right? And and the S&P 500 has like this PE ratio. And if you invert that, it goes E over P and that's called an earnings yield. And like one of the oldest uh, valuation metrics is called like the Fed model. And you compare the earnings yield on stocks against long-term bond yields. The, um, the real return or the nominal? Nominal return. Okay, okay. And right now, the nominal return on stocks is much higher than the nominal return on bonds. You can do nominal for both. You can do real for both. Um, So what that would suggest is that stocks are dramatically undervalued today. And then you you also take into account a risk factor. Um, You know, treasuries are risk-free, whereas equities are risky. So they should have like a higher yield. So then um, this guy, Ed Yardeni. Uh, came out with his model. It's called the Yardeni model, where he, he instead of using uh, treasury bonds, he uses like risky bonds. And the earnings yield on stocks is still dramatically higher than risky bonds today, suggesting that that stocks are still undervalued. So I think like I agree with Nick that, um, you know, we could go on a hard landing, but that doesn't um, really dissuade me from like looking at this investment universe, this like macro investment universe and seeing that like where would I rather put my money still in in risky assets? Maybe not now, but you know, according to the Ardeny model, Fed model, like S and P 500 would actually be worth right now between 6,000 and 8,000 on the S and P. And right now we're at, you know, mid threes, high threes, four. There's some assumptions built in that. Like the, the bond market is
3: much larger, much more liquid. I, I you know, sometimes people say that's where the smart money is, but the the other the next assumption is that it actually is a good predictor of where where things go. So relative to where bond yields are, that makes sense. But the question is, do you do you, are our bond yields the predictor and like, you know, uh, are they a predictor of where the Fed will go, where the market will go? And I think it's that's like the a, question
2: is a long term valuation model. Like it, it doesn't move okay. there in a straight line. And and my thought is uh, along along the lines of what Nick's saying is that like we're gonna be in for a period of, uh, muted stock valuations for a while. But like, you know, if you, if you zoom out, you don't want to be buying bonds here. You want to be buying risky stuff, uh, you know, over a long period of time, 10 year period.
3: But you're still keeping your bag in cash. You're not chasing.
2: Yeah, for now. But, uh, you know, I, I wouldn't be shocked to see like a, a spike in risk assets. We've already kind of like seen that play out even now, but I, I haven't bought really.
1: Mm. Yeah. I th- I think if I was a super, super wealthy person with, you know, billions of dollars, like long dated bonds would seem pretty attractive to me right now. Still, I think, um, I've been, as, as people who have listened to this podcast know, I, I have flip-flopped, uh, quite considerably, um, starting a few weeks ago. And, uh, you know, went from being effectively 100% cashed to being uh, uh, balls deep in Ethereum uh, longs. Congratulations. Thank you. So it's been good so far, but I I always question the trade.
2: Was it uh, MZY on our Discord that was the ultimate push to get you
1: over the edge? It it was not. (laughs) It was was long before he existed. Uh, Rest in peace. Um, But... uh, (laughs) so. I, I sort of agree kind of with what Nick is saying but I, I think not exactly I I think a lot of people still think the Fed dictates the market the Fed does things and then the market kind of comes along I, to, to me that is true to an extent in a phase of the market where we are sort of adjusting like expectations and that sort of thing but like ultimately I don't think there is a lot the Fed, can do um i think ultimately if the economy starts crashing then the the fed is just the fed is not going to keep tightening they're not going to be like michael scott and just drive the car into the lake you know and just like it's just not gonna they're 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 and, and this is what they've done in the past like every single time they've the economy has turned and then they've like pivoted um the bond market right now is saying that the fed is full of shit the Nasdaq is saying that the Fed is full of shit. They went around this week. They're parading all their guys out trying to like walk back the uh the press conference. Th- yeah, and the market's up today. Um uh, <clears throat> n- nobody's nobody's buying it. Um and I don't really buy it. Like I I I do think as my base case, we're gonna see like p five thousand now. All time highs. Yeah. I think we're going to go to new all-time highs. I, I, I think that we are going to hit a very nasty recession. I think it's going to be uh, like very largely attributed to stuff the Fed is doing now. I ironically, and, um, but, but, but like from what I can tell, that's not going to happen till you know, at best Q1, 2023, maybe the end of, um, 2023. Right. And, you know, from what I've seen in the past, like when you when when the Fed starts hiking, when the market you know readjusts to these expectations, like it, you do see kind of nasty sell offs, right? But then there's a period where they sort of back off a bit, things digest, and, and, and we go we go back up, right? And I, I was talking to Eric about this before we were recorded, right? Like a, right now, what, what what's the average like multiple of the S and P like twenty?
2: uh long-term average yeah no uh, lower but like it lower. used it used to be lower back in yeah. the day it was like 15 but and now yeah. now it's kind of like 17 yeah so other, if you use like the last 30 years
1: yeah so i've wrapped my head around this idea that we can miss earnings but like the multiples of the s&p could adjust upward like elongated interest rates continu- could continue to move down um we could have like a like pretty sick run right now before anything bad happens. I, I don't really believe the Fed. And like, I, I, I think I'm expecting like 34 or 35 K. Doesn't this become now.
3: recursive at some point? Like when, when you see inflation and in asset prices, doesn't that like bolster the argument that like they're going to have more room to tighten I see, and to raise. I, I mean, they're I pretty see inflation flippant.
1: crashing. I see gas prices coming down. I see oil coming down. I see commodities crashing. I see Walmart with like inventory overflowing into like the aisles, like I, I don't, I don't know. It just, it just feels so to me like we are about to get to that kind of. Let
2: me support this narrative. Back in, if you look back at like the Volcker era, mm-hmm. um, at the end of that big tightening phase, it only took four months for the market to re- retrace all of those losses. It, like it, it can happen very fast. Like the 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 bull run after that. I'm just skeptical that this is that. I think I think this is kind of like a a little bear market pump but like i i am aware that this thing can go quickly and maybe i'm gonna miss the trend maybe
1: i'll just wrap it up by saying that i think what you're saying could definitely be the case i just think a lot of people out there are like assigning what i'm saying like close to a zero percent probability with their current positioning and they're going to get caught in a very awkward spot if that does happen because they may feel compelled (laughs) to buy back higher at the worst time possible and then like we could go down lower than we are today, like a year from now, much lower. And, you know, that's kind of what I'm thinking. Sounds about right like now.
3: a magnificent bull trap. But I'll,
1: <laughs> I'm sure we'll talk about this more in the coming weeks, but I'll kick it to you, Armand. I feel like you guys
0: want to have like a market episode. <laughs> I, I, I can see I so always, much on your. I can talk about that. I always want to have a market that's all I you guys want I'm that. like, we guys, are. trying to get rich quickly. Let's talk about that Thursday. Um, well, I'm going to take a hard left on on my alfalfa for the week uh, mm-hmm. because it was so significant that I feel like it's worth mentioning. And it was something that's been coming up a lot in conversation in general. And that is meditation, um, something that oh, you all right left. Left uh, left. have experience with and something that almost every listener out there has at least dabbled with, I'm sure, at one point in their life. I was sitting down and I was um, sort of reviewing like the uh, uh, major phases of my life. And I was trying to retrace what my habits were at those times in my life interestingly enough, the toughest times in my life, the most challenging times in my life, all of the best habits and attributes that and rituals uh, that I'd have that I've ever had in my life, whether they be part of my morning ritual or the way I structure my day or part of my evening ritual, slowly but surely start to fall off and go missing. So I actually started even journaling about this. Maybe I'll write a piece about it, but it was just so interesting to me that When people are in tough times, one of the things I think that we fail to recognize is like taking inventory of how we're showing up and our habits. And you start by loosening up on one category, like, "Eh, I missed my meditation. I missed my, uh, I had two cheap meals or I missed my workout. And then all of a sudden, each of those categories starts to fall apart and you go down into a negative feedback loop and it's a downward, dark, hellhole spiral and you can't get out. I got, I got a question, can we um, please do
2: a life segment on meditation at some point? Uh,
0: we should, we should, because there's so much to learn from, can, from each we, of we us we on this. We can't be like a tech pod like, and, and not do a meditation. <laughs>
1: That'd be so, I need your tools, oh,
2: I need your
0: tools. Man. Yeah, yeah, so I'll give a brief version of that. And what I uncovered on the opposite end of the spectrum is that the times in my life where I've been most productive, effective, joyful, efficient and quote unquote successful from an external recognition and accomplishment perspective, which I think is just a byproduct of showing up as the best version of yourself were when I was meditating. And I used to be a really good, consistent meditator. So for me, that meant three to four times per week, more like four per week, uh, every week on average. Uh, would usually always miss like a couple days a week, but that was really good for me. And I was extremely clear headed, uh, non-reactive, unemotional and stoic to a certain degree about how I looked at life. And I looked at every occurrence that happened in my external environment as just happenings. And I was easily able to decipher what was under my control and what was not, which was actually one of Eric's, uh, Insights in in a, in a previous episode for those that remember, and what I find that it has added in the last two weeks that I've been doing this again, and so this week, uh, what is today? It's Wednesday. I've done it three days in a row now. I think last week I did it like four times, and I'm kind of back on this path of like starting to make this a non-negotiable again. We got a streak going, baby. We got a little streak going, and obviously, the best type of streak is an unbroken chain. Um, which is not easy to do. And I used to feel bad about myself when I would not consistently do a good habit every single day. But instead, I just try to say, like, okay, the goal is to do this at the majority of the week, at least. And it's okay if I don't do it in the morning, I'll do it in the evening. And in fact, I actually enjoy doing an evening meditation more. I was texting with Nick last and I'm like, dude, what are you doing? What's your evening ritual? <laughs> like, I need to dial mine back in. I want. I need to get better... as good at relaxing as i am at amping myself up in the morning and getting going it's it's a very important thing that i think especially in america that we fail to put emphasis on so anyway inside timer is my favorite app i've already thrown that on the discord a couple times but i like guided meditations mostly i like silent meditation sometimes my goal is 10 minutes Sometimes up to 30, it doesn't matter. I try not to give myself a hard time about it. I just try to show up and be nonjudgmental, non-judgmental about it. And it's made a it's already made a difference. Uh, and that's what's interesting. Even like my wife was like, Yeah, like that's interesting. Like you're unwinding and you're cooling down and you're not in like work mode until like 10 p.m. and then boom, pillow, out. So it's been really effective so far, and I'll maybe report back on it in a couple weeks ago.
2: Very good. I think the uh, the external validation thing that you mentioned, of, like the external validation of success, is probably like, leads into our next topic pretty well as well.
0: Sure does. Shall we?
2: Yeah, yeah let's do it.
0: All right. So we're talking about getting rich, and yeah, <laughs> who doesn't <laughs> love that? <laughs> Um, everybody wants to be rich and practically everybody. But I think the most important question to first ask about getting rich is, well, let's define what your rich life looks like. One of the fun things that I think is most funny about this topic is that most people, uh, resort to like default rich, which is the rich that is given to them by Instagram society and other people. And their default rich, unfortunately, is so, um, unconscious for a lot of people that they're actually playing this game where they're climbing a ladder of success that is infinite. There is no end in mind for what is enough. I mean, I think uh, Eric was the one, you were the one that pulled that quote out one time. I think we've already mentioned on the pod once, um, uh, that quote from the psychology of money. Oh, great. Book. Kurt Vonnegut, I think was
2: the author talking to his author friend, uh, Joseph Heller, who I, re- I believe yeah. wrote catch 22 and they're right. At, they're at a party mm-hmm. thrown by a a successful hedge fund manager and and Kurt Vonnegut goes to his buddy Joseph Heller he goes, hey, did you realize that um, this son of a bitch throwing this party makes more money in a day than you ever made from selling your like uh, groundbreaking book Catch Twenty Two? And Joseph Heller goes, I do realize that, but I have one thing he'll never have. I have enough.
0: Indeed, man, it's a fucking mic dropper. Mm. It's incredible. So the first step is, is determining what is enough. What is your rich? And what is your enough? I think that's the most important step. And most people fail, fail to recognize that. And I think after discussing this for a little bit, we'll, we'll go into like some of our old strategies. But like, let's, let's go to, I mean, like, what, what is enough for you? Like, how do, has that changed? Has that evolved for you? How do you even define what rich is for you? How does a, how does a human being even define that? Because so many people are like, I need the jet. I need a billion dollars. I need to be the wealthiest person that I know. But that's like a sucker's game. <laughs> like you're going to be I think in my opinion that is an absolute fool's errand. Like it, it is a, it is a terrible idea. So you I'm want
2: a, you want to start with me. Okay. Yeah, I do. I'm I, I'm happy to start. it I have like a interesting and probably like weird relationship with uh wealth because um I grew up wealthy and and I can like I can talk about how how that kind of played in with my ideologies. But like um you know I also manage money for a living and uh, we have clients who are wealthy and they're they're like young ish they're about our age and they're wealthy and um, you know I I think I see commonalities on how to get there before we talk about like what what there is Uh, I think like the common commonalities I see on how to get there it's like um, for people who are aspiring to grow uh, it's really two things uh, amongst my client base one You get equity and that's either like starting a business, which we all have done and are currently doing. And then the other one, like you can even like join a startup and get equity. Uh, The other one is like uh, eating what you kill, like sales, sales stuff. Like if you, if you Mm. can eat what you kill and then you go kill a bunch, meaning like you, you sell and you get commissions, uh, you know, these like commissioned salespeople often out earn like the executive team. Uh, And these are like my, my client base essentially. So I I see that as the- Yeah, mine always have. (laughs) that's the commonality that I see and how to get there. Uh, for me, what I, what I describe as, as wealth is, is so unique. It's like, I am a weird guy that I don't want the jet. I don't, I don't desire, uh, really things. I, I am like so far on the spectrum that like, I actually like issue things. I like, I dislike things. Mm -hmm. Uh, and, and maybe that's like a, a reflexive type of, uh, thing that I have going on inside me where I, I, I I just like take on this identity and then, uh, it's like, I get deeper and deeper into a rabbit hole on. on I've always
0: felt as a friend that you have a very healthy relationship with money.
2: It's interesting. Like, I think we all want more of it. Right. But, but also like in, in managing money, you realize like you don't even need that much of it to sort of retire. You know, like I think Nick's brought up the 4% rule, uh, before where it's like, you can, you can spend like $150,000 a year with, you know, not that much money and and just maintain that baseline. Like, you know, getting three and a half million dollars, it seems like very attainable to somebody who's like a striver. Yeah. Specifically somebody who's young, or maybe if somebody's like on their way to that number, it's like, oh shit, <clears throat> wait yeah. for ETH. Wait for ETH to hit, hit all-time highs again or like fucking there. Uh, so like, I, I don't think of... Um, that number being like that unattainable. I think what, what makes it feel unattainable is like, you see just like exorbitant wealth, like Elon level wealth. And you're just like, Oh, how do I get that? And I think people kind of fall into the trap where it's like, okay, well I have my 4 million, but it's like, well, what about 10 million? And then like, they, they take more exorbitant risk to get to the 10 when they had the, they, when they were ready and now they've squandered the four and it's like, Oh Fuck.
0: And I don't think we're talking about hedonic adaptation this week, but I mean, talk about the most dangerous form of hedonic adaptation. (laughs) Like money is the root of that.
3: I have a question for you. Like, I mean, you, you grew up around money, wealth, um, but you're not like the typical, I guess, stereotype for that. Like you, I would actually put you more on the frugal side of like how you spend your money or what you choose to spend your own money on. You're not extravagant by most means, I'd, I'd say. Do you know why that is? Like, because I've seen other friends who are, you know, but their their level of standards yeah, for they don't lifestyle are
0: like
2: so much higher. Like their
3: Way bare higher. minimum is... Way very higher very and high.
0: they don't value it. And Eric really values it.
2: So I think, uh, I think you brought up this term rich life that comes from, uh, what's the name? Ramit. Ramit. Mm-hmm. And um, something Ramit said, because I follow him too. Ramit says something that like... Uh, spend extravagantly on what you actually desire, but then cut mercilessly on things that don't really mean anything to you. And and I, I take that into account. So when people see the frugality, it's like, well, I just don't want any of that shit, you know? So I just spend zero on that. But then if it's like, we want to go to take a trip somewhere, I'm like down every time. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's what I value. Um, I think, you know, I brought up this like duality of how to get rich, which is like equity or, uh, sales and i'm really ignoring this third category which is what my sort of like wealth my lifestyle wealth is all based on like my my mom worked at the same company for 35 years uh from the bottom and then ultimately became ceo of like a fortune company and that is not the path that i see today but that that's certainly a path i I lived it you know like i Mm -hmm. i saw i saw it Mm -hmm. firsthand
1: can we can we break this down a little bit into more of an algorithm that Nick would like?
2: <laughs> um, <clears throat> Nick's already broken it down.
1: Okay, so so here's how I see it, right? Like, like step one is you have to decide what rich means to you, right? Does rich mean I want like a lot of money or does rich mean like I want a lot of time without stress, right? Do I want to meet like a certain threshold for my lifestyle but then i just want to be free right those are two very different goals right and they, they require very different strategies right so if your goal is like i want to be like really really rich i want a lot of money now now i may think that that's a kind of productive goal but like let's let's just ignore the philosophy of that of whether that's like good or bad right if you want to be really really rich you need to turn your money over at like an incredible return rate. Right. Like, so I crunched some numbers on this, right? So if you're 21, you, you have a thousand dollars and you want $5 million by the time you're 40, right? You have to basically like add a thousand a month in savings and then grow at like a 25% IRR, right? Which I think is doable if you are a hustler and grow a business, right? That's your path to, to, to 5 million from, from basically nothing. Um, You can also take like a sort of more grindy approach. Like if you don't want to be insanely rich, but you want to be very, very comfortable, right? Start with a thousand bucks, average like 8,000 a month in contributions, get like a pretty cushy job. You're not going to make a million a year, but maybe you make like two or 300 K a year. You save it. This is like the dentist path we've talked about. You get a nice, very high paying job. That's your ceiling, not getting the jet. You do that for till you're 40, boom, $5 million, right? Then there's another path, which is not necessarily like kind of growth savings focus, which I think is like um, more just like cutting costs focused, right? And this path, I think, is really interesting to me for people who are like, I don't want to be phenomenally rich. I can live off of 20, 30, $40,000 a year. I just want to be free, and maybe that doesn't even mean, like, I don't want to work at all. It just means, like, I don't want to have to work 40 hours a week at a job I don't like. And I think this is, like, an interesting path. This is, like, a, have you guys heard of Mr. Money Mustache? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Mr. Money Mustache, I I don't follow anything that he says Yeah, I don't follow it. <laughs> like, <laughs>
0: I literally couldn't cut my expenses in like, half no, if I like, tried. Like, like full no
1: disclosure, way. I have opted for the path that says, okay, I could do all this cutting or I could just make more money. Like I've, I've opted for the path of, let me just figure out how to make more money. If you're not like an entrepreneur, that's not a good path for you though. Right? Like you may want to be like, I want to, I want to work a job. I want to move up the ladder. I'm good at this thing. I don't want to take on all this risk. I want to follow this path from 21 to like 37. And then I just want to opt out and I want to go do my own thing after. So money mustache is like really great for that type of person. Um, like he advocates for saving i think like at least 70. at least 50% of your take home yeah. right up to like 70% like pretty pretty extreme and i think conventional wisdom is like telling people like 10 15% right but it's it's kind of remarkable like if you run the numbers on this right like if you make like 75k a year average from the time you're 21 to 37 which is not that hard in the US as an average across like 16 years right um you can have 1.1 million by 37 just by saving that and cutting stuff and just not doing dumb stuff and like for for a lot of people that's that's amazing and you're you're chill you're free right particularly Uh, if
2: you don't live in san diego san francisco california hong kong vancouver london
1: yeah like so yeah I'm, i'm curious what you guys think are like the biggest leaks People have when we play poker, we talk about leaks or so things you do that like cost you money over and over and over again. You gotta plug those leaks or you, <laughs> you you start losing uh eventually. Like he I know he would say like the biggest leak people have is around like cars and transportation. Like hmm. biggest hack is to live close to where you work and take public transport and bike and that like like to I, I see so many people spending 500 bucks a month on a BMW and another 200, 250 a month on insurance and spend like eight, $9,000 a year on their car. And they don't make like a, a million dollars. And that's like an insane, like compounding leak to me. Like that, that seems like, like priority don't one. Know. Don't, don't do that. Like, well, what, what do you, what do you guys it's think? It's a good question. Like the, I mean, the largest my largest mistake. My
0: leak is really obvious and it's like an intentional leak. It's travel. Um, I've easily spent seven figures in travel. I mean, Easily, Uh, I wouldn't
1: say that's a leak, though. Okay, so let let me redefine leak because I I think the end goal of money is sort of freedom, and and, but but ultimately, ultimately, it's like I want to be happy, right? So I think that spending money on travel for for a particular type of person wouldn't be a leak because it is genuinely giving them happiness. But But it
0: is if my goal is true, like I still want the money mustache outcome but at the whatever, uh, a multi six-figure level of passive income, right? So the more I can sacrifice, the faster I can get there. And yet so many of us make intentional decisions to defer that because we're mortal. (laughs) And we, uh, as you said in the beginning, like you'd rather not sacrifice certain components of your lifestyle it's really hard to do that. So I'm not sure the exact uh, definition you were going for there, but I know for me, like I intentionally choose to spend money on things that make me happier, knowing that it's going to take me longer to get to certain outcomes that I have. But in a weird way, I'm okay with it. Like I obviously am okay with it. I'm not doing it accidentally. So that's a, that's an odd balance too. So it's like, if your goal really is to get rich quickly again you have to go back to the to the goal what does rich mean to you uh, you know and like for me it is freedom it's it's not this like uh just make as much money as possible to spend as much money as possible that's like a form of slavery to me like <laughs> that literally so sorry if i detoured that but like no
1: i don't think it's a detour um you I, I just don't think like spending money on travel is necessarily a leak if you're just doing the thing that the whole Point of why you're trying to get wealthy gets you to anyway. Along yeah, it the was. Way.
0: It's like a, that's exactly it. Yeah. I think about it as like the Mexican uh, fisherman parable.
1: Yeah, I guess like do, do you agree that like cars are like the the biggest leak people have when they're young? I think
3: uh, cars can be if it adds to your fixed costs. You know, if if you want to buy a, a a car like a luxury item, like something more than just your basic transportation, then you should pay for it in cash. Like you shouldn't increase yes. your fixed costs. I actually think the biggest one is typically like rent or housing is mm-hmm. where that, yeah. that to me is the biggest leak because then you introduce this fixed cost that raises your monthly nut that you have to cover. And that is, I think, um, you know, tougher to, to deal with. I mean, they're usually more permanent decisions. So I think when people um, have years where they do well and they increase their fixed costs, and then there may become a stretch of years where you don't do as well. I think you you get ahead of yourself there, and that that's that's like a leak. That's a hole okay. that you found because like income and wealth does not increase in a straight line. It just it just doesn't.
2: You know. I think I found the answer. Like oh. as, as I was listening to you guys, <laughs> as I was listening to you guys, I think I got it because like to Armand's point, it's not a leak if you enjoy it. If that's what you want to do, it's not a leak. Um, so I think the leak is. Um, Spending on things that give you external validation from strangers. Mm. A car could be one. Uh, your lodging could be one. A
0: Rolex could be one. Shoes, shoes, clothes, designer it's shit. It's like the shit Gary V tells people to chill out about. So I
2: think like if if you if you're buying that because you think people are going to like you more and you're you're doing it for external validation then that's a leak. But if you're doing that, because if, if you want to buy the biggest, baddest TV, cause you want to sit in front of that thing and, and that's what you enjoy, then that's not a leak. But if you're doing it for the external validation, then it
1: is. Can I, can I devil's advocate this? Yeah. I think in some weird, perverse way, like when you're younger, a car can actually be a better investment for you or even an investment, like than like an apartment, right? Like, um, I'm shaking my head. at Steven as you're shaking. Right. Like, um, okay. So (laughs) Steven, don't do that. So hear me. So hear me out When, when you are younger. One of the most critical things I think that you can do is sort of like to sort of like build a network and, and, and make connections. I think it's like a lot more valuable than money when you're younger, like infinitely more valuable than money. One of the nice things about cars versus like an apartment is that it's like, um, It's way easier to flex with a car than it is to flex with like your housing.
2: Oh, man. First of all, I just want to stop you there because like if somebody's flexing their car on me, I'm immediately discounting them from my network. So like what you're describing is like a way to network and like we have a good network and I drive a fucking 2001 Acura. I don't give a shit about a car. So like if, if somebody comes up with a Lambo expecting me to now respect that they have a Lambo, I'm like, eh, fuck off.
1: I think I sort of agree with you and I don't behave this way, but I think we would be ignorant to look at the world and say like, oh, nobody I've, cares I've about that car.
0: What if that car is uh, kin to what travel is to me?
2: That's what I was saying. If you enjoy it, it's not a leak. I'm not so, even I'm great. not even okay. talking
0: about it as like an enjoyment.
1: Of it. Look, let's let's get away from cars, even right. Let's let's talk about something we've talked about before, like something we've I don't know if all of you've done this in, our, in your past, but like I certainly used to go to a lot of nightclubs as a youngin, and I spent <laughs> like nightclubs
0: an, as a youngin. Uh, like, like, <laughs> <I spent laughs> well, a hey there, bud.
1: <laughs> yes. Used to go to the discotheque
0: with my friends <laughs> and, and just just half down. naked girls dancing all over you and ordering champagne. Stephen, is that what you were doing? I don't know what you're talking
1: about. No, <laughs> can we go into detail? Nick, Nick definitely didn't do any of that. Who did it better,
0: Nick or Stephen?
3: i don't know i uh spent ungodly
1: amounts of money
0: (laughs) i will say i didn't
1: know any of you then
0: yeah
3: thank god we weren't teammates back then because i've done it with nick
0: haven't done it with steven so uh
3: nick does it well let me tell you we uh we we spent a lot of money doing that and i would say uh most of them i could probably take back and and invest it in apartment complexes you still wish you'd always done it like (laughs) three times but there was like 35 percent of those scenarios where i was like it was so right (laughs) yeah so i don't know just three times i think i think i'm
1: making this point very poorly but we're just easily distracted i I, I like i I think (laughs) what i'm trying to say is like when you are younger you can bring value to the world in a non-monetary fashion and often this is through in like a social way right so like um like a lot i see like a lot of like younger kids that they, they're like rolling to like circles and stuff. And the way they do it is they have like a lot of women and they can bring like beautiful women places. And then like old rich guys are like, I want to hang out with that kid. He's always hanging out with like 20, 20, right. So, so, so my point is like, there, there are ways to do things that are non-monetary that like get you connections that bring you into spaces that you might other not otherwise be in because you're young and like people don't really care about like, what you have to say or things that you've done when you're 21. You've, you've kind of like reset your life, you're out of college, you're starting from scratch again, right? So I can see scenarios where, in a particular paradigm, like quote unquote wasting money on a car, being flashy on social media, whatever, might actually, in some way, for you and what you're trying to do, bring value in a way that I think is actually more effective than spending money on an apartment that is like marginally. Better, Right. Like nobody cares that you're like, oh, I've got a I've got a two bedroom mediocre apartment instead of a studio. But some you. people will be like, I got a Lambo. Like it doesn't actually cost that much more money per month to get like a dumb flashy car with a 1000 miles per year lease than that. And again, I'm not advocating this as a strategy (laughs) by default. I see your point. I'm just saying like, I can kind of like see areas where the conventional wisdom might not
2: be correct. The bigger point is well taken. Yeah. But But, like getting a nice car doesn't give you flocks of women. I've experienced this at conferences where, no, it does not,
3: where idiots (laughs) size up other idiots based upon what watch they're wearing. Mm -hmm. And it's uh, silly when you talk about it but it it happens and it's like a quick uh you know i don't know what type of discrimination that this falls in but it's like a one one one, type two (laughs) or no what one one
0: games people start playing yeah they're like oh he's successful so i I heard someone uh, like say like that's their way of indicating simply to others i'm good at what i do that i exactly Mm -hmm. Like, I don't even want to have a conversation. Can you just recognize my value based on what's on my wrist? Yeah, I mean, yeah, fact is it's true.
2: We lived in San Francisco for 10 years and like the the richest of all of them would wear a fucking turtleneck to their conference or a
1: hoodie. And like the
2: guys who are wearing flashy shit were
1: like laughed out of the room. do, Do you think it's a divide between like builders and salespeople? Is that, is that the divide? Mm, like, is it nah. logical if you're in sales to do that? And if you build stuff, it doesn't nah, make sense. But Sort of.
2: Yeah. I think, yeah. Broadly. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Like, cause that's, that's what I see. And, and I think, I think it's not like this is inherently dumb or this is inherently good. I think like this actually, if you're a builder and you're driving a Lambo and like, then it maybe doesn't make sense and you're doing something, you're, you're signaling the wrong thing to the wrong people and it's not, and it, 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 it's kind of counterproductive, but, but I can kind of see how it would make sense of you Like you're in that lane. Right. And if you're opting for the sort of incremental dental dentist path of wealth where you're like, I'm going to save as much as possible, cut my cost, and everything, then it's obviously stupid to kind of go out and, I think you're, and buy that car. You're
3: right. Like one of the and we could start talking about like how to get there, but I think one of the biggest leaks is not deciding, you know, early on like what's what's your path. I have certain friends who've gone for the hundreds of millions and some have some have made it and some haven't. And either way, I love watching them go down that right. path. I mean, it is It is amazing to watch, like Mm. the amount of grind they have to go. And some are successful, some are not some end in like cataclysmic, terrible supernova crashes. But like some of them, you know, do well. It's not for me. I I don't I don't want to choose that route, but it's fun watching people go down that route. So I think, you know, choosing what what path is is more suitable for you is is important. Um, I'd say, you know, initially that the biggest mistake that that people often make early on is trading their time for money. Um, and that's okay if you are if you don't have any skills and you need to learn skills or, or like, I, I think there's other ways to build your network other than buy things that maybe you can't afford. Of course. Is, yeah. <laughs> is to get a job at a company where, you know, there's people inside that big company that you can network with in the future. So I think, you know, the biggest mistake is trading time for money, but it can be useful early on in your career to build your network, to get some experience, to learn some skills. But in the end... I kind of, I followed exactly where you fell, Eric. There's two paths, which is, uh, you need to own your own business. You need to be an equity holder or you're in sales. And in my personal path early on, I was like, I always want to be, I want to be a business owner. I don't know where I got it from. I think my dad was a small business owner and he's always investing in the stock market. And so maybe I got, got that, you know, first inclination from him. He certainly told me early on, he's like, you know, son, sometimes salespeople make more than the CEO, and for some reason that that quote like blew my mind that mm-hmm. that it was even possible, and I think it planted a seed. And so, you know, when I was early on, I actually was looking for a sales role on purpose because I was like, I don't have money to start my own business, and the only way I can earn outsized in my skills and my experience is to to do sales and do really well at it. And I had an opportunity where one of my mentors, Misha, gave me an opportunity. He's like, okay. We're going to build this consulting firm together and any client you bring in, I'm going to give you a pretty large percentage of the revenue. Mm. And I took that and was luckily able to to run with it and build. There's no way anyone would have given me a salary of what I earned. And for a couple months there, actually, Misha came to me. He's like, I need to lower your commission rate. And I was (laughs) like, why? He's like, you made more than I did the last two months. And, you know, I was in a grateful little shit for about seven days. And then I, I you know, realized how grateful I was that he even let me in this position. But, you know, that 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 did happen for a very small period of time. But it did give me the cash, the excess cash to then start my own business. And and I think, you know, at some point, whether that's whether you're 20s or your 50s, you know, that is that the ultimate path for wealth. That is the opportunity that you're afforded to in America and in other you know countries. But that is a unique, unique opportunity that the fastest way I know. To accumulate wealth over over a long period of time, I'm not talking about like start your own Twitter, raise a bunch of money. I, don't, I actually don't think that path yeah, like is a retired
1: I, dentist wealth.
3: Yeah, like yeah. you know, like I, I would focus on a business that has a good cash flow cycle that that can cash flow within the next with the first two years. If you can do that, that's that's phenomenal success. If you can be positive cash flow relatively quickly and have enough profits to distribute money to yourself within two years. I mean, yeah, I, I, I
1: love the sales, but I'm not a salesperson, right? So like I, that's something I decided early on, but I, I hear what you're saying. And I think like, um, that's one of the greatest skills you could build like as a young person, because one of the problems with like starting a company is that you, you raise money, you, you hire people, and then you are tied to that. And you just go down with the ship. If you're like an epic salesperson, you can just leave. Yeah, you just go somewhere else anytime you want and just somebody's you bring happy a Rolodex. To pay you. You,
2: okay, I have a question for you. Yes. You're not a salesperson, but um, in a way, you do eat what you kill because you're sitting at the desk trading and like you are making money while you're sitting there working, eating what you kill. And I, I've thought about this for myself, right? So if I'm selling like weekly options and I can increase my my salary by Six figures by just grinding this out, gritting my teeth, selling options over and over again every week. Uh, You know, at what point do I lose the freedom that I actually really aspire to Mm. versus like getting the dollar amount that I also aspire to? And where's the, you know, where's the heavy medium? Do you do you feel like you are free in this life where you are eating what you kill?
1: That's a great question. So like one one of the things, (laughs) me and Nick are very different because Nick has started uh, successful businesses and, uh, you know, sold them for money and stuff. And I've started businesses, but I feel like I've never like fully even sold them after like much (laughs) pain. But like I've I've never achieved this nirvana that people talk about where it's like, oh, start a business and eventually you just you just get this cash flow rolling in. You remove yourself from the business. I've never been able to do that. I've always been terrible about doing that. I was terrible at that in the business world. And then I keep coming back to these jobs like like people know that like I I played poker trade. I keep coming back to these jobs where like I don't own my own time. Like, Like I like I make money. When I work and for a while I was like, this is so inefficient and I hate this, but like, I kind of like what I do now. And yeah, to an extent, like I do only make money proportionate to how much I work, but like, I'm able to make enough where like, I don't, I don't have to work 40 hours and I like what I do. And it's, it it's, it's it's cool for me. And like I don't I don't know if I'll ever But I'm start. guessing
2: I'm guessing you work way more than forty hours as like you're sitting there researching but, and whatever. If
1: you yeah. count thinking, then yeah. yeah.
2: <laughs> I mean the majority of the job becomes like reading and
3: thinking. But I, I think, you know, if if you're gonna go down the path of I'm gonna start a business, like we shouldn't, you know, leave out the sacrifice part of this. Like you are committing to a life of like risk of unlimited hmm. amount of work hours and, and sacrifice. I remember when I started my first business uh we didn't go out for like a year and a half i'm talking about not one weekend one night did we go out and hang out with friends staying in the office
0: story about asking you to go to brunch (laughs) i don't remember this but yeah (laughs) i was staying we were like 23 or 24 and i was visiting san diego i was (laughs) staying with nick we partied on a friday night we woke up on saturday and i was like dude where are we going for brunch and he was like i'm good man like, like that notion just appalled like, him yeah he was like <laughs> i'm not going out anymore spend money on food no i'm good i'm sacrificing i'm all in and i was like wow this guy's fucking committed and it worked yeah he did it yeah but i I, sh- I think that's important to share because people think that they can have their cake and eat it too yeah i mean it's we, very important we joke about that quote
3: i think elon musk quoted it from a friend but like you know being an entrepreneur is like staring into the abyss of a dark hole while eating glass or something like that and like i've certainly come to you guys at times like looking like a ghost being like guys i'm just getting wrecked right now or i feel like i'm getting wrecked and it it certainly has those moments and you have to be okay and you have to be smart enough with your money where like i've had years where i've made millions of dollars and i've had years where i've lost lots of money and everything in between from not making money to making some and not and you have to be okay like as an entrepreneur or like what people call a serial entrepreneur we're just going to keep moving from business to business no matter what happens whether you sell it or you shut it down and that's the life you choose it um it comes with a cost and it comes you know also with with discipline like when you're up and you're doing well you have to realize i'm doing well and that doesn't mean i can go spend my money Mm -hmm. on a on a car or whatever like those are the times to like shovel them into the investments that will hopefully replace your your income in the future um but it's Uh, Yeah, I would say like I did a talk in front of college students one time and I blatantly told them it was an entrepreneurship society class. I said, most of you should not become entrepreneurs because it is not always the happiest route.
0: Um, Yeah, People assume it's a path to freedom. I did. It's not. It is not a
3: path. Especially when you're in grind Mm -hmm. mode, you know, which is the first two to three years of the business. I I can't see a way out of
0: that. You hate having the boss so much that you assume that if you go off onto your own, you'll have Freedom and to a certain degree, you do, but you're exchanging one thing for another. But I think your story, Nick, is super fucking cool because it's about um, uncovering principles, determining what they are, creating a set of rules within or principles that you then follow no matter what. You know, the no, I'm not going to go out to eat is an example of just one of those many principles, and then executing until the point that a pivot or a restart is required and milking and cashing that cow as much as possible along the way. like That's what you do. That's how you build businesses that like generate wealth. And then sometimes you sell them, sometimes they just generate cash. There's many paths, but uh, equity is a great play. I, right. I'd like to go a little bit deeper. I know we're already um, deep in this episode, but I think we should go a little bit deeper and no, I, share I, a little I, more I, on, I on, on the how. So. There's a couple things that come to mind for me that I've been wanting to share and ask from you guys as we talk and a bit of a synthesis as well. So some of the things that I've I've pulled out of everything we've talked about is like we all commented on like that's a good form of wealth and that's a good form of getting rich. But that's not a good form of getting rich. I think ultimately what we're saying and what it comes down to is that everyone has a different definition of what the rich life looks like for them. And the goal at the end of the day is to make money. Money is a tool and it provides different things for different people. For some people, it provides time. For other people, it provides like we have friends that are like, all I want is the fucking jet and the fucking yacht. And I want to have a great grand old time in the Cayman Islands or in Croatia for yacht week for the rest of my life. And I'm going to need to generate billions of dollars throughout my lifetime to make that happen. Great. Okay. That's your version of it. So there's no like admonishing anybody for their version of wealth or, or freedom or, or rich. I think that's very important to say. Um, the next thing is that I think we highlighted like, you know, Eric, your, your story is really interesting in the sense that what it makes me think about and the reason I brought it up in the first place is because a lot of people have money trauma. And I think the reason you sharing is really powerful is because you you don't have that money trauma to the same degree that a lot of people do. I think I have some money trauma. And growing up the way that I did, where people had to show up to our doorstep and like give us food sometimes for Thanksgiving, has an impact. And it puts me in a state of like fear. And even when I have money, I always think I'm going to die sometimes. I'm like, <laughs> it's all going to be taken away from me. And I might be rich on paper, but I'm one bad move away from a really 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 scary situation and so what that does to a person's character is that they create belief systems that can either enable them to make more money or get in the way of them making money so for me maybe it's a little bit of a cop-out i know it's the left turn i always take but like i think that the game toward getting rich as quickly as possible is actually an inner work game before an outer work game so there's all these strategies that we've talked about maybe there's a few more we can mention But like until a person does the inner work of understanding what is blocking them from receiving money in the first place and or generating it, I don't think they're going to get anywhere. I think you can fall into, you you probably all know people that are very good at making money and very good at losing it. I'm not one of those people, but I'm sure you all know some, somebody like that. And yeah. there's some kind of money trauma there. Yeah, the I, was,
2: I was like, I know that guy. There's some <laughs> kind of money tra-
0: And I'm thinking of somebody that you and I know yeah. and a couple, a few people that you and I know. And Jazz, right like, <laughs> well, no, I'm not even, <laughs> I'm, just, I'm not I'm even, right even you. you can speak for yourself. I'm not thinking of you. And these people are absolutely fantastic at making money and then just have this like incredible ability to not like lose it on purpose or anything like that, but they spend it just as willingly as they created it. It's almost like this magical manifestation ability that they have. And what they've actually done is they've created a roller coaster for themselves that is rooted in a roller coaster that they were in from a long time ago. But they haven't done the work to realize that the roller coaster is the thing that they need to work on, and that actually they might benefit from like a little bit of stability in terms of their approach to making money and maybe getting rich slowly would actually be better for these kinds of people instead of like shortcuts to make money. So
2: you guys had asked me maybe why I have a healthy relationship with it, and I was doing some thinking while you were talking and. What I realized, like, uh, if you believe that perception is reality, which I I kind of do in a lot of ways, um, you know, I went to this like rich private school where like some kid was like flying in on a helicopter to go to school in the morning and landing (laughs) on the 50 yard line to come to school. I went like on my basketball team was the owner of the Lakers and like the owner of the Chargers was like on the football team. So like this, this school within this circle that I was in, I wasn't rich. So I think I I, I took on mm-hmm. sort of this like uh, identity as like, a you know, I'm getting by here. And and I think that just kind of like stays with me, uh, even though like on a grander scale, that was never the what case. What you
0: have that I, um, I, I won't say I wish I had, because I'm I'm happy with who I am. But like something that I've admired and seen in you is like, there's a sense of uh, peace and comfort with where you're at. Like you're, there isn't this like... Uh, sabotage fear mechanism that exists inside of you, there's a sense of security. And like, no matter what I've, well, that's, that's not fair language either. I've worked very hard to develop a sense of security because the sense of security is what allows for creativity. And until a person has that level of security that they're not the end of the world is not near, that the worst case scenario is not that bad. They actually can't create from a very good and healthy place. So you end up creating from a place, you start your business out of a place of fear, out of a place of scarcity, where you have to make it in like three fucking months. But a healthy-minded person who's worked through a lot of their money issues is like taking a very logical, rational like approach to the idea of starting the business in the first uh, place. And I think the, you might even notice about me, like at times, like there's a maniacal, like, you know, I need to do so much in one day. Yeah. Like, where does that come from? <laughs> like it's it is really the core a deep rooted yeah. thing that I have to check every goddamn box I possibly can in the day. And that's tied to the money thing. And actually, I, I don't think a lot of people talk about this, but I think that the real privilege that I enjoyed.
2: Is that peace of mind knowing that I yes. could start a business even though the safety net will always be there. Like if, if I fail miserably that like I can not die and, you know, just rebuild again. It's the
0: same for all of us. We just have to work on, like we're all going to be okay. It's just that our upbringing changes our perception of reality. Like we'd actually all land in the same place. People haven't done that work to, to realize that. That's all.
1: Hmm. I feel like I'm never going to be okay
0: oh steven i'm gonna change your name He's to drama cesaro <laughs> really quickly right. really quickly
1: i mean you're fine yeah i'm fine but like I, i'm like you where like i have this little voice in my head that's like always like oh my god i'm gonna be poor like all the time totally like, it's just like <laughs> i uh
0: no i know i know what you mean
1: man and it's yeah it's like a driving thing in my life i'm i'm, I'm trying to think back to what the inflection point was for me where i decided i was gonna like opt out of that and i i guess for me it was like discovering discovering poker Mm -hmm. and i just like ran i just ran the maths on this i'm like oh i can take this path i can opt into this thing i'm gonna make this much an hour then i will get a raise make this much an hour this much an hour and it's gonna be like 27 by the time i get to the point where i hit some inflection point where i'm like okay i've been promoted and done this and i was like or I could just like eat this kind of pain because it was pain at the time of being like, I'm going to risk the very little money that I currently have and just eat this glass, as we say, and just deal with that. And I think I'll, I think this is like the better thing for me when I'm younger. I think when you're younger, like you typically do have two choices, right? You can choose the path of entrepreneurship and pain and uncertainty, and that world will just reward you on the basis of what do you do. Or you opt into the sort of like ladder path of corporate, right? Like there's very few areas where you can bust into the economy and you're like, I'm 21. I'm a wonderkin, like, just pay me 900 grand a year. It's like, everybody's going to be like, go fuck yourself. Like you go to the mail room, Back you know, in line. It's just, <laughs> yeah. like, cause that's just the way that works. Um, hmm. so I, that, that was my inflection point personally. And I did that once I did that, I was just like, Oh, I like taking risks. I like the pain. I like the 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 threat of losing everything. But it's fine. I mean, maybe, maybe I don't like let that, but I I like the the opportunity. I like always seeing that little like rainbow at the end of everything, and that keeps me going, even if like I'm undergoing pain right now. And that was just natural for me. So I'm like curious, like did because you you had a job at Google. For, first right yeah and you you did like i i did the salary thing for a little bit like i I worked at bridgewater for a little bit and that wasn't like a normal job i guess but like still to me felt kind of corporate
0: and i hated it and i was just like i have to get out That was similar to you similar to nick where i was like always wanted to be a business owner um i have a weird you know job history like i started working like under the table like by eight nine years old in my neighborhood then by Uh, 14 years old I got a special Permit just to work at a snack Bar because the legal age in California At the time was 15 then my first Actual legal job was At a roller skating rink And then I've worked Ever since then in every industry you can Imagine and I didn't I guess it was like my way actually Toward like freedom I wanted To make sure I could like put money in my own pocket Take care of myself not go through What I'd gone through for the prior 15 Years and it's always been this, like, go, 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 put shit and on your back and go. And then, yeah, well, you know, did the school thing and went to Google, actually 3M first, then to Google, and then was like, okay, I am not made for this. Like, I am way too radical for, like, a job and, like, work environment. Like, everything I say and do is just, like, too much for these people. and. While on the one hand I was being like praised, I was also being like admonished <laughs> for like being too much. So yeah, started doing the equity thing and getting equity in companies and building my own companies with that, you know, from scratch or actually, I mean, for me, I would say like a lot of my wealth, uh, I know we talked about uh, uh, trading time for money, but like I'm, I have made, uh, I don't do this anymore, but I have made a lot of money uh, trading time. Actually, because when you get to a point where you can charge $1,000 an hour, it gets pretty good. It gets pretty damn good. Can I
2: ask all you guys a question? Um, because like you, you're talking about your trauma with money. You're talking about your, your uh, level of being sort of like insecure today even. Um, my question to all of you guys is like, do you have a number in mind? Like we're talking about wealth. We're talking about rich. Like do you guys have a number in mind where you're like, I don't have to worry anymore. Or are you going to continue living this chip on your shoulder life that's always going to feel a little insecure? And is that like going to stay with you forever?
3: I, I have a, a, a number, but it's not like the the grand number. It's like how much in per month in passive income it's a do I need? The fifty yard hit. line. <laughs> and like you know, I'm like, okay, here's how much I spend now. You know, if I have kids, when I have kids, you know, and people think in retirement that they're you know, spending goes down, but it actually goes up because you're not spending nine hours in front of an office, you know, not spending anything, doing any activities. So like, I was like, okay, well, what if I took a 30% premium on what I make now? Okay. That is my monthly target. Plus on top of that, like 18 to 24 months of cash that will, that will last me in case those income sources, whatever reason we have a dark recession and they don't start spitting out, you know, cash for, for a long time. So mine is not like, I don't I don't really have like a total number, um, but to me it's like how much how much uh, passive income can you make because I, I'm in the camp of like time is the limited resource and so y- you want to optimize for more time uh, and more freedom in time and uh, that's how I've kind of operated. So it's not like 10, 20, 30 million dollars or anything like that. It's a...
0: they algo go. Yeah. It's got a hell of an algorithm behind it. Yeah. Yeah, to answer your question, I, I have a number... And I've made it very um, clear to myself to make sure that once I hit that number, everything else is just a cherry on top.
2: Sort of remind yourself when you it's get It's very
0: there. important. I've written it down like a thousand times. Because like,
2: it is easy to move the goalpost. I'm, once you I'm get making oh, sure. I will guaranteed. move the goalpost. That
0: is guaranteed. But it will truly uh, serve as life enhancement, you know, little cherries on top of whipped cream for me.
1: Yeah, I mean, I. I do have a number. The problem is it keeps moving because life keeps changing, right? Like a good example of this is real estate. Like when I moved to California, I was I was doing pretty good playing poker and I bought a house. And at the time I was like, Oh my God, I just spent so much money on this house. We like have like a four thousand square foot house in 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 PV, yard, everything, beautiful house. like one point five million. At the time I was like, Oh my God, I have just wrecked myself, right? It, now like, that's like a it's like a reasonable apartment downtown and if i still have that i would feel very 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 great right like mm-hmm. like this house we're recording in now costs way more than that house and it's a fraction of the size of it like so i like i keep thinking i'm going to be okay here but then like the the goalposts of all the things around me move and like the, like the reality is like I feel like I don't superfluously spend money right now. I feel like everything I spend money on does give me a lot of value. And I still see things that I could spend money on where I could get more incremental value and I'm okay with working. Right. And I'm okay with like getting that incremental value. Right. So, so in my, in my head, I'm like, I want to, I want to have like 50 times my annual expenses of like just, good value stuff like and that's like my number that just keeps changing all the time because the world is crazy and it's it's chaos and it's a moving target and then you get older you're like well i'm gonna be married maybe i have a kid maybe i have two kids maybe i have three kids and you're like okay maybe this kid wants tennis lessons and music lessons maybe he needs to go to a public school a private school now because the school it's just it so every time i'm like i want a number like two years later i'm like oh that's cute and i like pat myself (laughs) on the head so i just like don't think about it a lot anymore in terms of what the exact number is but i just think of it in terms of like the utility versus sort of like the risk-free rate and how much cash flow it can get me and that's like a forever moving target so i just like what number
3: do you apply to like this is how much cash flow can get me mine is uh five and a half percent
1: that's like about mine five That's okay. like what i five. use in my okay. head i think i can get five they can get by in that i think that's safe um so yeah that's 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 my benchmark i think that four
3: percent rule from the fire group is kind of bullshit to be honest
0: yeah Yeah,
3: well because they're like okay well you you know you need to have basically 25 times whatever you're currently spending now and then you can retire but a lot of them a lot of them are like well you know that includes dividends from stocks um other things and i'm like well those are taxable still so your four percent might turn to three percent or do they not factor
1: in taxes though I don't, it seems I don't like a gross oversight in, if they don't
3: in a lot of these I've I swear I've read a lot of these stories and I don't believe they they do and so 4% doesn't seem to be ne- nearly enough so I think that's that's kind of BS I think gross 25 gross. is is—is
1: there, is there a book called like die with zero I don't know but that uh, sounds uh, good to uh, me. yeah
2: I've heard of that sort of ideology yeah.
1: I think that, that idea. I think that's kind of a good philosophy I, I feel like it's die with zero plus like let your kids have a small amount of breathing, really but enough to give them like a, just, just enough to give them a kick in the ass, but they're not going to die in the street. It's trip. more like a thank you.
0: I like yeah. Warren
2: Buffett's uh, quote on that, on, in, on like inheritance. He goes, I want my kids to be, to be able to do something, but I, I don't want them to have enough that they can do nothing.
0: Ooh, Buffett wisdom. I like that. Yeah,
2: he's also going to give them like a couple
0: million bucks, probably oh,
3: a million one, one uh, million, a million. He's a million. only giving them one million. But what what that's age can plenty. they access it? Oof, that's, that's plenty. More than anybody else. I think it's plenty. like if you want to give your kids money, that's fine. Give it to them at age thirty. I'm not giving a million. You're going to give them some skills.
0: No, I'll You're like, give, here's,
3: here's 7,000 episodes of the Alpha, Alpha, <laughs> Alpha <laughs> podcast. Just study up, motherfucker. Dude,
0: dude we got to pop those numbers Invaluable. up if you want to get 7,000. I think we should work toward wrapping this up. Okay. And I just got an idea. Hopefully, you guys are down. I thought we should just, uh, since this was such a, a conversation of so many sub-topics, I just thought we could maybe end with like one mm. fire, no pun intended, um, tip on how to get rich quick. Nick, you're on the spot first, I'll, go. I'll go, I'll go. <laughs> okay, so um, number one thing a person can do to get rich fast, I think, is um, develop the most unique skill set you possibly can and get or create equity in as many companies as you possibly can with that unique specialized skill set. and um, don't want to sit here and regurgitate a lot of what I find to be like a compilation of great wisdom, which is Naval's work of compiling the great wisdom around wealth and and becoming rich. So I would read uh I would look into Naval Ravi Kant's work and just or just read the book uh The Almanac of Naval The Navalmanac. <laughs> because I think that he synthesizes this 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 very well. Um and talks about a lot of the things that naturally came up today. But for me, it's like what has made me the most money is having very unique skills that I can charge any amount I want and or allows me to create anything I want and then having as much equity as possible in as many businesses. Nice.
3: Yeah, I'd say like outside of you know starting your own business, you know, fi- find a role where you can earn outsized earnings of, of your experience. And so that's in sales. But it also, for most people, could be getting a job at a publicly traded company that has good growth prospects. Most jobs, even the lower end jobs, come with some kind of stock options or equity. And that is most people's path to wealth. And then when you do have extra cash, um, stop investing in individual stocks. Either go an in index or find a way to learn real estate and and use the power of leverage and tax advantages in real estate. And I think those are the you know, few ways. And then if you want, you know, like we've talked about different buckets in the discord, like if you want section out a piece of your savings bucket to let it, you know, let it YOLO. And are like, are
0: you going to say crypto? Cause that's crypto what I was going to say. not been fucking said. That's what I was, oh, why did you say it? That was mine. I had a good streak.
3: I was going to say like, you know, once it's time you fill, to say it. <laughs> once you fill that that bucket, and maybe your your long term you know retirement bucket, you know your, your brother actually comes to mind is his equity. Mm-hmm. Well, then the rest of the cash, like especially if you are in the younger side, you take risk, you know, you know let it let it rip. And mm-hmm. uh, I think ETH would be our uh, you know for those who are not
2: sophisticated enough would be our uh, weapon of choice.
1: Squeeze, yep, let's go full send.
2: Yeah, crypto CFA. Spend less than you make. Take the excess, put it in crypto, specifically ETH. That's it.
1: Wow. Mm. I think that people want to make money to be happy, but I think that people don't think about what it means to be happy. And so what I think most people end up doing is they take money and they try to be happy by like buying things. And they're sort of just buying dopamine hits and then their capital is recycled in a way that is not very efficient or effective to them being happy. They just keep buying dopamine hits at the dopamine slot machine and they spend a lot of money like that. Um, So I think a good step to people would be to take a step back and think about what happiness is. How can I be happy? What is enough? What do I really do? need because i think if you don't answer that question first then all the money you make just kind of goes to filling like a never-ending void on the 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 dopamine slot mm-hmm. machine and i think that's what most people do and it, they'd be better off kind of working backwards i think
0: you surprise me every day <coughs> oh thank you yeah that was lovely that was really really lovely that was wonderful um Personally, I feel like we could talk about this topic for another four hours. Um, there's so much like within the topic of... What do you mean? It's what we talk about quickly. every day when we're not...
3: Have we a do, but there's just...
0: Face. Yeah, no. Yeah. I mean... We'll on bring the pod. it back around uh, on the pod. in six months or something. So if you enjoyed, let us know. If you want more of this, let us know. Um, obviously, we are we went long, but we're cutting it short. Um, and we'll, we'd be happy to do a part two. <clears throat> Love you guys. See you in the next episode. Adios. Peace. Peace.